continue on in service here today. Um, we're going to do things just a little different, uh, a little special here. Um, we're about to, in a moment, uh, take out our Bibles as, uh, as we read through and uh, listen to me read the, uh, our scripture reading uh, for today's sermon um, from Matthew. Um, just like as Melissa was saying, you know, we're continuing on in the story of Matthew um, or in the book of Matthew as we're looking at Jesus' teachings today. Um, but a little different, after we, uh, after we stand, we're going to sit and reflect on, there's a song uh, written by an artist named John Foreman that uh, really speaks to God's knowledge and understanding of us um, and his, his unwavering love as well, which are some themes that are kind of very tied into uh, the, the sermon today, or in, this, in the scripture at least today. So would you please stand if you are able, taking out either your Bible or your booklet if you have it, opening to page 32. If you don't have a Bible with you, either turning it on or opening it up, it's okay, we'll have it up here on the screen as well. Um, but this is Matthew 6, 19, or 6, 19 through 34. This is God's word. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moss and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamb of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow and reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and all your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has had enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Forgive people that wrong me. 
Lead me far from temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. I look out the window. Birds are composing. Not a note is out of tune, out of place. I walk to the meadow. Stare at the flowers Better dressed than any girl on her wedding day So why should I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need You know what I need Your love is your love is, your love is strong. Your love is, your love is, your love is strong. Your love is, your love is, your love is, it's strong. Your love is, your love is, your love is strong.
Good morning, TBC family. It is so good to worship with you this morning. I am here because uh, Pastor Eric is at uh, the West Chicago campus preaching this morning, and so uh, I have the honor and privilege to open in God's Word with you as we look through and, the, and continue to walk through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is preaching to us. So open your Bibles. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, as we've read this morning, we're looking at God's view on possessions and wealth. Well, we know money is always on our minds, right? According to at least one recent report, uh, money is always on our minds. One in four people say that money is the primary thing they think about on a daily basis. That's pretty consistent across all age groups, income levels, uh, every which way. Money tends to be one of the highest things we think about in our lives. And we're concerned about so many things when it comes to money. Sometimes we think about uh, will we meet, will we make ends meet, right? Sometimes we're worried about sticking to our budgets or planning for retirement or managing debts or handling investments that we have. And we're not exempt from these worries or these concerns, even as the people of God. In fact, in recent days, our thinking and worry about money has probably increased, right? We've had the rising inflation, the stock market decline, and most notably what hits our pocketbooks. Yes, the rise in gas prices. I'm thankful for the little bit of relief we've had over this 4th of July weekend. And so, if money is something that we're constantly thinking about, we need to talk about it, right? Because it's always on our minds. And Jesus realized this, not only for us, uh, not only for the people of his day, but for us today as well. Yet money itself is not the problem we're talking about Though the Bible hints at the danger often associated with gathering a great deal of money, the Bible contains many stories and people who are wealthy and handle their wealth rightly. Today we're going to see that the problem lies with how we think about money and whether it is the love of money or the love of God and His glory, which is the first priority in our lives. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that our wealth and our attitude towards wealth is another one of those barometers that help us see our growth in righteousness as lives of disciples. In fact, throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount that we've been walking through these past weeks, with every topic, Jesus has continually pushed past the outward trappings of this religion and righteous acts to delve deeply into the matters of the heart. In every situation, in every action, he has pushed to look at what is the heart. Are we disciples at a heart that is owned by God and whose attitudes are in alignment with the kingdom of God? Because then and only then can our actions in all areas, including with our wealth and possessions, Live and be different. 
So today, as we look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is continuing to examine our hearts. He's examining the hearts of the disciples and us as we move through this tough topic of wealth and possessions. And as he seeks to answer these two questions. How do we think about money? And how do we deal with anxiety about money? I want us to see, though, that as Jesus answers these questions, what I love about this is not only Jesus direct and he cuts to the heart, but I want us to see that Jesus today does this in such a loving, tender, caring, compassionate way as our loving Father. And he does it this way by giving us two things. He gives us a new perspective and a new outlook. A new perspective and a new outlook. Outlook. So look with me. We'll start in verse 19. We're going to start off with this new perspective. As disciples, Jesus is concerned about all we think in every area of our lives. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at that, right? We've looked at our prayer life. We've looked at our generosity. We've looked at our fasting. We've looked at all different ways we think about relationships and marriage and, and forgiveness, all these different things. And today, we look at wealth and possessions. And so in verses 19 through 24, he begins to help us understand this by giving for us a comparison of three illustrations. And in each of these illustrations, I want us to see that he's giving us two differing perspectives on wealth and possessions. So in this new perspective, he's going to compare one, two treasures, two, two conditions, and three, two masters. So let's look here. Two treasures. Verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. The comparison here is about where our treasure is stored. I know growing up in the church, I've heard so many stories on this passage, and so much is focused on what is the treasure. Well, we don't specifically get into that there. Jesus' concern is where our treasure is stored or actually, if you go back to the Greek, store and treasure the same thing. What is the treasure, or what is the treasury of our treasure? Or where are we going to store what we value most in our lives? Jesus' concern here in verses 19 and 20 is that for the reality, this life is temporary. And so for us, we need to understand that it's not a matter if human treasures will eventually be lost. It is only when. Paul writes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. And so the comparison that Jesus is giving us here of these two treasures is, are we going to store it in a temporary place that's going to be lost, or are we going to st store it in an internal place? Treasuring in these eternal things means that we value and store up things that will last for eternity. That's in all things, but specifically in our money and our possessions. 
Because that's something that won't last. Think with me for a second. Where do we store what we value most? <laughs> that's, that's the right answer, yes. But on earth, where do we store what we value most, right? Maybe we have a safe that we store it in. Maybe there's a safety deposit box we have at the bank. Maybe a lock box we have in our closet. Maybe for some of us, and especially right now with the stock markets under our mattress, right? Even some of our most expensive things, we insure them, right? We insure our houses, our cars, uh, people insure jewelry, all these things. We do this to store what we value most. I remember as a kid, uh, I wanted to store my most valuable possessions, right? My most valued possessions were my baseball cards, uh, 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 a few pieces of my favorite candy, uh, the check for my grandmother for my, for my birthday, and I would store them in a, in a thin box that could fit snugly under the bottom drawer of my dresser. And I thought, because it was in a box, it was under my dresser, you had to pull the drawer out to get to it, like that was a super secure place to store my most valued possessions. What I found out every time is the candy that I would store there would come up missing. You see, my three other siblings knew that's where I stored my candy, and that box was not very secure. And so they'd pull the drawer out, lift the box out, eat the candy, put it back, and I thought it was safe, and I'd go to look for it months later, and it was gone. Jesus takes this illustration further by saying, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Not only is it about where we treasure, uh, where are we placing and storing our treasure, he's saying that where we store our treasure is the first indicator that reveals our heart and where our hearts are truly at. To be wrapped up in preserving the treasures of earth as our goal is to hold an extremely shallow understanding of who God is, who we are to God, and our true significance as disciples of Christ. As always, I've always loved this quote from Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But look with me. Jesus continues on here in verse 22 with the second illustration that he's using to build off the first. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? At first glance, you're like, okay, we've just gone from, I understand the, the storing of treasures. Now, what does good and bad eyes or healthy and unhealthy eyes have to do with what we treasure? Jesus is once again saying there's only two camps, right? You either have unhealthy eyes or healthy eyes. And what do we know about our eyes, though? 
they allow us to see things clearly. You notice I'm wearing glasses this morning, right? If you see me most of the time, I'm wearing my contacts, so people don't know I'm wearing glasses, but I have really bad eyesight. I actually have an astigmatism in both eyes, and they've been this way for a long time. And so I've worn glasses and contacts since about fourth grade so that I could see. Actually, if I take them off, without them, you've just now become a bunch of colored blobs in front of me. I, I can't even read my notes from here. And as, uh, as I got older and as I got married, uh, my wife and I were, were having our children. We're both praying like, God, please give our children the eyesight of my wife. Let them have good eyesight, please. I know how bad it is. But sadly, uh, two of my boys have astigmatisms along with me, and my other two kids have to wear reading glasses already, so we did not get out of that camp. But the thing we realize with all of us wearing glasses or having contacts is our glasses help us see the world clearly. And seeing is very important. So Jesus here is compounding the second illustration to dig deeper past our action when it comes to wealth to how we perceive the pursuit of wealth. So it's not just about where we're storing it, either temporal or eternal, but how are we pursuing this wealth? What Jesus says to his disciples and the people that are there listening to him is we don't always see things clearly. Sometimes our vision is distorted or clouded, and so we need a healthy set of eyes to see how to handle possessions and wealth clearly in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus understood that what we set our sights on, our goals, motivate us in the present. If we're just focused, okay, this is supposed to be for eternal things, we may disenfranchise what's eternal from the present, but Jesus says how we view things motivates us in the present. That which brings good light or that which brings bad light guides our hearts. And so when our vision is distorted, our pursuit of wealth easily shifts to selfishness. And the generosity that we learned about over these last two weeks and the generosity that is a part of being in the kingdom of God and part of being a disciple is non-existence. And so it makes it hard for us to honor God with our possessions and our wealth. The good thing here is Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus says, if you, do, if you don't understand this first illustration, maybe you're still struggling with the second illustration, I'm going to make it crystal clear with illustration number three. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How many of you have ever been in a car driving in a new city? Raise your hands. Okay. Now picture this. You're in a car driving to, in a new city, and a friend who lives there is sitting with you. 
As you're driving, you, you come up either to a, a car crash or a traffic jam, and you need a new route to follow. The whole time you've had your Google Maps giving you driving directions with the latest updates and live traffic conditions. And at the same time, your friend who's from there is giving you verbal direction based on their experience and knowledge of the area. Both voices are giving you two different sets of directions. They're telling you to turn, turn two different ways. But at some point, you have to choose which person you're going to follow. Right? If, if you're following Google and then all of a sudden you, you, you listen to your friend and you go back to Google and then you listen to your friend, you're going to get stuck every which way. And so you have to make a choice at which person you're going to listen to. You can't follow both of them. There are tangible consequences attached to the choice that you make. And so Jesus, in the same way, in this last portion of, the, of, of this section, is very blunt. He says you have to choose. You have to choose between two masters, the master of God or the master of money. Because they were two contradictory masters to give us contradictory instructions for how we look, perceive, and live our lives. Jesus makes it very clear that if our focus is on the accumulation of temporal money, it's promising us happiness, but it's calling us to live a self-serving life. If we follow the, God, uh, the master, which is God, He's calling us to serve him and others, to hold our possessions loosely for his kingdom. Jesus says we can't listen to both because there are consequences attached to the choice that we make. When money and possessions are a treasure, what begins as treasure and presents itself as something that serves us and furthers our interests. That's what treasure is supposed to do. It's supposed to serve us, but in our pursuit of it, our treasure becomes the goal of our life on which we set our sights, the motivation that drives us each day in the present and in time. What began as treasure grew into our goal now becomes the master of our lives. Instead of serving us, we begin to serve it. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 6.16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Jesus gives us the opportunity and the freedom to choose. But the choice we make has long-term consequences and ramifications for our lives. So this first section here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' new perspective is calling us to follow him as master with our whole lives. 
Jesus, though, doesn't end there. He doesn't just give us a new perspective and tell us, you need to think differently about money. You need to think differently about you handle your wealth and possessions within the kingdom of God. He gives us a practicality of how how to live it out. So in verse 25 and 33, he begins with a tough statement, but a statement that begins to allow us to see this new outlook that we have because of Jesus. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat or drink, or about the body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In fact, in this passage from verse 25 to 34, Jesus makes a statement of worry three times. Don't be worried about wealth, possessions. Do not be worried about clothing or food or about life. But the reality is anxiousness and money about money is not a new problem. Why do we worry, though, about these things? Well, if we don't have a lot of money, we worry because we ask the question, will I have enough? If we have money, we still ask the question, will I need more? So it's entirely logical to equate worry and earthly wealth and possessions. The logic runs like this. The more we have, the more we can lose. The more we can lose, the more we work and strive to protect and look after what we can lose. And the more we have to look and strive and protect and look after what we can lose, the more danger we will experience by losing it. The more damage and danger we experience about losing it, the more worried and anxious we become about losing it. So the very thing which in our naivety we assume would bring security actually produces insecurity within us. You see, Jesus has already made that, that contrast for us between earthly and eternal treasure. But when storing up earthly treasures is our goal, the reality is worry and anxiety is our daily experience. But Jesus says here, right, verse 25, do not worry. So, so why shouldn't we worry? H- how can Jesus say this? Is Jesus just talking to the crowd, talking to the disciples, talking to us, and giving us just a, a, a platitude, maybe a statement that goes on a plaque in our house that says, keep up a good face. Keep your chin up. The times will get better. No. That's not who Jesus is, and that's not what he means. You see, if we looked earlier in verse 25, this section begins with this conjunctive word, Therefore. I learned from one of my Bible professors, anytime you see the word therefore, we need to ask the question, what is it therefore? And in our passage, Jesus is using it to connect what he just said with what he's going to say next. And so Jesus says, because of this new perspective on wealth that I've just talked with you about, therefore I'm going to give you a new outlook on how we deal with the worry and anxiety that comes with wealth possessions, and money. 
practically, he says this very quickly in verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to our lives? He says, practically, we can't do anything about it, right? When we worry, nothing good happens. In fact, worry only compounds the problem because it makes us think about it more, right? We sit up at night, we're laying in bed, and man, we worry about it. We're up late, we stay up hours, then we don't get sleep, the next day is longer. Uh, We go stretch it out for a week, and you're exhausted, right? That's the irony of worry. It demands our attention. It pulls away from our focus. It doesn't grant us any peace. Corey Ten Boom said this about worry. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry is all negative, and it doesn't help us at all. So then how do we deal with anxiety and money? And this is where I told you, remember I said earlier that Jesus, in talking about this, wants to show how deeply the Father cares and is concerned and walks alongside us, how much the Father loves us. This is where Jesus talks about that. As we deal with the anxiety that comes with our wealth and possessions, the reason we can have peace and contentment in our lives is because we can trust God with our worries and anxiety as it comes to these wealth and possessions. And we can do this because what Jesus say is deeply theological. When we ask the questions, what do we know about God to be true, and can I be content in what I know about God, we see three things. The Father cares, the Father provides, And the Father knows. Look with me here in verse 26. We see the Father cares. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? The first reason Jesus gives that we can trust God in this this new outlook when it comes to our wealth is the Father cares. You're worth far more than God, to God than the birds and the grass. We'd all agree with that, right? You're worth more than birds and grass. Yes. And so if God provides for them, of course he will provide for you because he cares for you more. But God not only cares about your needs, he cares about you. He cares about the way you think, the way you feel, the way you live. He cares about the fullness of who you are. And so Jesus is reminding us that if you are a disciple, you are also a child of God. And so you're already loved. You are already chosen. And how much does a father value his child? I love being a father. I got my four kiddos here with me today, and 
uh, I realize as I look back as a father, there have been many nights where I've been woken up to tuck one of my kids back into bed because they are scared. Whether it was because they were afraid of the dark or, or I had to come and, 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 and help deal with the monsters that were in the closet or under the bed. I always enjoyed those sweet moments as a dad where I can calm their fears and dispel their worries. And as a father, I want my children to tell me what they are worried about or anxious about so I can care for them. Not only do I want to fix the problem as dads like to do, but I want to calm their fears, their anxieties. I want to help the way they think. I want them to see that they're loved and valued by me so much so that I will take care of them. That's what Jesus is saying here. Peter says it another way in 1 Peter 5. He says this, Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So yes, God wants to provide and, and God wants to take care of our needs, but it's even more so. It's not just the need. He cares deeply for you. The second reason we see is that the Father provides. Look with me at verses 28, 29, and 30. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow stone in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus says, hey, look, just look at God's good track record of provision. Just think about how he's provided for all of creation. Every animal, bird, fish, even insect is provided for in some way because God is constantly involved in the sustaining work of his creation. He didn't just create it and let it be. He is still intimately involved in holding all things together, and so they're all provided for. Think with me just for a moment about how he's provided for the people of Israel all throughout Scripture. Or even more specifically, as they walk through the wilderness, right? They're leaving Egypt. He provides for them by parting the Red Sea. As they continue to walk, he provides each day with manna and quail to eat. He provides them with clothes that didn't wear out. They're walking through a desert, so he provides them with a cloud cover by day. And as the desert cools, he provides them a pillar of fire at night for warmth. God provided for them. And if God does such a good job providing for them, why would we think that he's not going to have a hard time providing for us. We know what God has spoken in his word. Think with me for a moment. Reflect back and ask the question, how has God provided for me in the past? Both in the little ways and the big ways. An answer to prayer. A provision of need. A calmness of peace in our heart. How has God provided for you in the past? 
to see so many times we just got to remind ourselves of that. In the midst of worry, worry clouds our vision that we can't see what God has already done for us. But we know what God's word says. And God is faithful so we can trust him. Say that with me. God is faithful. We can trust him. Yes, God provides. God cares. The Father cares. The Father provides. The last thing that Jesus shows with the argument is the Father knows. Verse 32. It's a simple statement. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Knows. The word Jehovah Jireh is first used as a name of God in Genesis chapter 22. When Abraham's going to up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb for the offering? And this is Abraham's response in verse 8. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. They continue on, and we see as Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, God provides a ram to be sacrificed in his place. We know if you've looked in your Bibles or maybe you looked it up online, Jireh in the original Hebrew means to provide. But additionally, the Hebrew word has an even greater, more robust understanding than just provide. It means to perceive experience. And so when Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh here in Genesis 22, he isn't just saying God gives. He's saying, God, you see, experience, and know all of this need of mine and have made provision for it. So you see, when we talk about God providing for us, it's more than just the gift. It is deeply personal because God knows. God's provision for us is eternal. This passage of Scripture is probably one of the clearest foreshadowings of the work of Jesus in our own lives. God not only provided for Abraham, but he provided for his only son. John 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, God's not only the provider. Jesus is our provision each day. As we've talked about, God amazingly has provided for our biggest eternal need, salvation. But he also sees, knows, and makes provision for our daily needs as well. God knows us so intimately that he makes provision each day for what we need. And we see that in Genesis 22 as well. We get the big picture of God being provision for us. But in the next words of that story, there seems to be an abrupt switch. All of a sudden, the, the story shifts to the genealogy the genealogy of Isaac's future wife. 
We look and we're like, what is going on there? But what I want us to understand is it lets us know that even as Isaac was a young boy, God had already had a plan for his future as a part of the promise to bring Christ into the world. God knew so intimately who Isaac was, what his need would be, and what his plan was for Isaac's life. But he stepped into it. From the greatest needs of our soul to the concerns of our hearts, I want us to know that we have a God who sees, knows, and provides. He is our Jehovah Jireh. God sees us in our experiences that we have today. Many of us have probably walked into this room worried or anxious about something. And for most of us, it might be tied to our culture, to our world, to our finances. But God sees, is with us in our experience. And in his promise, and in his character. And because he is named provider, he will provide. So Jesus, in this moment, connects this new perspective with this new outlook of how do we live out our lives in the kingdom of God. Knowing the Father cares, provides, and knows. I want us just to end our time in a time of listening and reflecting. We're going to sing the song Jaira here in a few minutes, but I want you just to reflect on the words of this song and how it's attached to our message today. So listen to these words. I am already loved. I am already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I am already loved more than I can imagine. And that is enough. I will be content in every circumstance because Jehovah Jireh, you are Let's reflect, and the team will lead us in worship.
already chosen. Our God picked us before we were even born. He demonstrated that love and that purpose that he has for you, each and every one of us in this room. He is our provider. He is our caretaker. He is our everything. Amen. I want to invite you to stand now as we worship in response with our voices. Lifting up the same things that we were just reading about. He dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor. How much more will he clothe you? How much more does he love you? Let's sing. Sing if he dresses. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more does he clothe you? How much more will he clothe you if he watches over every sparrow? How much more does he love you? How much, how much more does he love you? If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you?
As we reflected on God's word this morning, he has given us a new perspective, but even more importantly, he's given us a new outlook on how we live our lives. May our reflection this week be that we be content in every circumstance this week, both the little and the big, the ones that we feel we can handle on our own and the ones that we fall on our knee and need, know that we need God's help for. Because Jehovah Jireh, is enough. May this be your blessing as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Tri-Village Church, you are sent.